and welcome to another broadcast of Sunshine USA here on Anchor FM and Spotify and some of the other networks we do Sunshine USA on. And this is me, Warren Landis, your Bible teacher on Sunshine USA. I'm also the host of this program called Sunshine USA, which of course is a program dedicated to the preaching of the gospel and the teaching of the Bible, the Word of God. Well, I want you to know we are getting ready today to begin a new book of study in our journey through the New Testament. And this, of course, will be uh, the Bible book of Colossae, or Colossians, I should say. I say uh, Colossae because Colossae is the church this book is directed to. And... Um, this is a book or a letter written by Paul to the church at Colossae in Asia Minor, which would be modern-day Turkey. Now, it's also interesting to point out that this is one of the few churches in the world of that day, it seems, that Paul did not start. Um and it's especially interesting to note it's one of the very few Gentile churches that Paul did not start. Paul started many of them. I'm convinced he, in fact, started most of them, but not all of them. And the church at Colossae is one that he did not start. Now, when we get to verse 7 in chapter 1, I will reveal the one who actually started the church at Colossae. You'll be interested in finding out who it was. But I want you to notice, before we get into this book of Colossae very good, that Paul was a very successful minister. And he was really several different types of minister in one. In some ways, Paul was an evangelist. In some ways, he was a missionary church planter. In other ways, he was a pastor. But part of the secret to Paul's success in the ministry is the fact that Paul had a deep and abiding love for the people. And as we will see here in the church at Colossae, we will see that at the church of Colossae, uh, we will see that um, Paul had a great love for these people even though he did not start this particular church. Now, the reason I believe some ministers don't see success in the ministry, they haven't learned how to love the people that they minister to. In fact, some pastors, unfortunately, see their parishioners as people that have to be endured rather than loved. I was watching just a week or two ago a pastor on television being so very critical of some of his church members. He said uh, some of his church members, in his opinion, took up way too much of his time. And he resented it. Well, the fact that he would say something like that showed me he did not have a deep and abiding love for his people. Paul was successful, at least in part, because Paul had a love that was deep and abiding to the people of God 
Amen. He loved the people. And he never wanted the people to feel that he did not love them. He cared about them greatly. And when we find out who the founder of the church at Colossae was, you'll understand that Paul saw this guy as a fellow servant. A fellow servant in the Lord. They did not see Paul as being, I mean, Paul did not see this guy as being a competitor or anything like that. He saw this person as being a brother in Christ, a fellow servant. In other words, as far as Paul was concerned, it didn't matter whether he started the church or somebody else started the church. Paul simply had a deep and abiding love for the people. Another thing we're going to see as we get into chapter 1, Paul prayed earnestly and daily for the people. He wasn't praying vindictively against them, by the way. He was praying very openly and honestly for them. He was praying for their betterment. I'm sure that Paul spent many hours of his ministry in prayer for the people that he ministered to. We also know that Paul had a great gratitude for anything that anybody ever did for him. Paul realized that there was no way he could be a success in the ministry by himself. He realized that any success he had in the ministry required that he have help from other people. And he never hesitated to thank the people that helped make his ministry possible. Whether they helped by giving money to his ministry, or supplying labor to his ministry, or just simply praying for his ministry. Paul was always eternally, everlastingly grateful. And, and I want you to notice something. It wasn't celebrities that typically came to the aid of Paul. It was people that we never heard of. And I imagine when I get to heaven, I'm going to meet people in heaven who helped Paul, and their names never appears in the New Testament. But that doesn't matter to them. They didn't help Paul in order to make a name for themselves in the Bible. They helped Paul because he was a brother in the Lord. Amen. Amen. Now, like I say, this church, Colossae, was located. It was located about 100 miles from the church at Ephesus. Now, we know that Paul did establish the church at Ephesus. And Ephesus was roughly 100 miles from the church at Colossae. Now this lets us know something about the physical capabilities of Paul. Now I know that Paul oftentimes uh, talked about having this thorn in the flesh. 
I personally believe the thorn in the flesh was an eye problem, but it was not a physical problem. It was not a physical problem. It was not a physical ailment. It wasn't a physical handicap. Because you see, Paul traveled all over the known world of his day. We have evidence in the scripture that Paul possibly went as far west as Spain and maybe as far northwest as England. There wasn't much of the world of Paul's day that Paul didn't get to, and for the most part, the only way Paul could do that was on foot. And in order to do that, Paul had to be in tip-top physical shape. He had to be one of these guys that did a lot of walking in his day. Amen? Amen. Now let's take a look at the epistle itself. Now, when we look at epistles like the letter that Paul wrote to Colossae, we see yet another reason why Paul was successful in the ministry. And that is he communicated with the people that he ministered to. Now, you know, they didn't have the social media in Paul's day. Paul didn't have access to Facebook or text messages or anything like that. You see, Paul communicated in the only way that he knew how, and that was to communicate by way of the letter, the old-fashioned handwritten letter. Now, you know, I'm afraid that has become a lost start in today's world. Absolutely. A lost start in today's world. Um, I can remember when I went to college, uh, the post office was a very popular destination on campus, especially for those of us students that lived hundreds of miles away from home. And we were always eager to get that letter from home. And I'm told that even for prisoners in prison, one of their favorite parts of the day is getting mail. Mail from the outside. And I imagine this past year, with most prisons not allowing human visitation, these letters became the only means of communication with the outside world. But I'm afraid the letter has become a lost art. We have many outstanding history books that are based in part on letters that different people have written over the years. But people don't write letters too much anymore. People are much more likely today to send text messages or emails or things like that. Maybe uh, communicate via me Facebook Messenger. Now, I'll be honest with you. Don't try to contact me on Facebook Messenger. I don't trust it. A lot of people that have been hacked on Facebook have been hacked with help that they got from Facebook Messenger. So I don't trust it. I don't transmit messages by way of Facebook Messenger, and I don't allow people to send me Facebook messages. I'm on Facebook, and I have a great ministry on Facebook. But... 
you're wasting your time if you send me messages by way of Facebook Messenger. I don't communicate that way. You're welcome to send me an email. That's why usually at the end of every program, I invite you to send me prayer requests by way of email or, and I've got two different email addresses. And I always tell you that's probably the fastest, most direct way to communicate with me. But Paul believed in the importance of communicating with the people that he ministered to. And that ministry became the basis of his New Testament writing ministry since many of those letters became books that he is credited as having written in the New Testament. All total, we know that Paul wrote at least 13 books in the New Testament for sure, and 14 books if you believe, as I do, that Paul wrote Hebrews. Amen. Amen. Now, let's get into the book of Colossians itself, or the letter that Paul wrote to Colossians itself. Paul says in verse 1, Paul an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God. Paul never indicates that he appointed himself to be an apostle or that any group of men ever appointed him to be an apostle. He was an apostle by the will of God. Now let me tell you something for those of you that are thinking about going into the ministry. If you're thinking about going into the ministry, make sure that God has called you to go into the ministry. Because I can tell you from first-hand personal experience, it ain't easy going into ministry. The devil is going to fight you every mile of the way. Now, one thing I always share with audiences, a good part of my ministry down through the years has been bivocational. I've usually had to work at a secular job for income and then did whatever God allowed me to do in the ministry. And I wouldn't have it any other way. And in fact, now it's kind of interesting as I enter into my retirement years I find myself preaching the gospel more now than ever before. Amen. Praise the Lord. And Paul says here to the saints and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae, grace and peace to you from God our Father. Now that there is a typical Pauline introduction. Paul goes on to say in verse 3, We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, because we have heard about your faith in Jesus Christ and your love for all the saints. Now, by the way, how did Paul know that? Well, Paul knew that because, number one, he apparently communicated on a regular basis with the fella that planted the church at Colossae, and we also know he probably got reports 
from other believers in different parts of the world about the church there at Colossae. He says, because we have heard about your faith in Christ Jesus and your love for all the saints, the faith and love proceeding from the hope stored up for you in heaven, of which you have already heard the word of truth, the gospel that has come to you. All over the world, this gospel is bearing fruit and growing just as it has been doing among you since the day you heard it and truly understood the grace of God. You learned it from Epaphras. This is in verse 7. You learned it from Epaphras. Now Epaphras appears to be the man that God used to plant the church there in Colossae. Paul describes Epaphras as a fellow servant. A fellow servant. That sounds so different than what we typically see today. When I listen to some of these TV and radio preachers today, you, you sort of get the idea they're in competition with each other. And because of that, they tend to be critical of each other. But Paul is not critical at all here. He refers to Epaphras as our fellow servant, who is a faithful minister of Christ on our behalf. Notice he refers to Epaphras as a faithful minister. He doesn't have anything bad or derogatory to say about the fellow. And he says, and who also informed us of your love for the Spirit. In other words, this guy Epaphras, he's bragging about his church there at Colossae. He's bragging about the people and the love and the Spirit that they have. Paul says, for this reason, since today we heard about you, we have not stopped rejoicing or, pardon me, we have not stopped praying for you and asking God to fill you with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom. So he's praying for the believers there at Colossae that God will fill them with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom. Amen. Amen. Not only all spiritual wisdom, but understanding. So that you may walk in a manner worthy of the Lord and may please Him in every way. Now, of course, there's no way that you can live a life that's really pleasing to the Lord Unless, unless you have knowledge of the Word of God and are empowered by the Spirit. 
And when he says, walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, the word walk means to live. In other words, Paul says, I not only need you to talk the talk, I need you to walk the walk. That is exactly and precisely here what Paul is saying. He says, bearing fruit in every good work. I believe if you're doing the work that God has given you to do, you're going to be bearing fruit. Now, you may not know how much fruit you're bearing, but you know you're bearing fruit. Somebody asked me the other day, Warren, with this uh, ministry, Sunshine USA, are you bearing any fruit? And I said, you bet I am. He says, how much fruit are you producing? I said, I don't know, but I know I'm bearing fruit. One reason I know that is because the Bible tells us that God's word, the Bible, will not return unto us, unto him void. God's word has power. And where God's word is preached and proclaimed, it will produce results. Growing in the knowledge of the Lord, or growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power, according to his glorious might, so that you may have full endurance and patience. Now notice he says here, full endurance and patience. Paul probably knew the day was coming when that would come in pretty handy. Amen? I would say just in this past year, those of you who have received endurance and patience from the Lord, you know that it has allowed you to come into good stead. He says here, in joyfully giving thanks to the Father. Not just going through the motions of giving thanks, but truly letting God know specifically what you are thankful for. He says, who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in the light. Now, it's important to note here that um, when a person dies and they have left a will and they start talking about who all is in the will and what is left to them in the will. In some cases, there are qualifications to be met. The will might stipulate that someone cannot receive their full inheritance until they, say, turn 21 years old. Now, sometimes we get into more bizarre requirements Sometimes the will will say this is an amount of money that so-and-so cannot receive until they get married. Now, it's unfortunate when that happens because they might try to get married just to get the inheritance and then figure out how to get out of that marriage very quickly afterward. Amen. But the Lord has qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints in the light. 
Because you see, he knows that our names have been written down in the Lamb's Book of Life. Paul goes on to say he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sin. And by the way, that's something we should never take lightly. The fact that God has forgiven us our sin. Now we would like to think we're going to heaven because we're pretty good. We would like to think we're going to heaven because we're nice people. We would like to think we're going to heaven because we are so deserving of going to heaven. But the truth of the matter is, the only reason we're going to heaven is because God decided that we would be saved by grace through faith. In other words, in other words, we find that Paul is um, saying to us that forgiveness is something that we receive as a free gift. We don't deserve it. We have no merit. But it is something that we receive from the Lord anyway. And then Paul goes on to talk about the supremacy of the Son. Or we would say the supremacy of Jesus Christ. Paul says in chapter 1, verse 15, The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions, rulers or authority, all things were created through him and for him. Now, by the way, Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 through 14, also talks about the supremacy of Christ. And once again, I don't mind saying I believe that Paul wrote Hebrews. Now, if you want to send me an email and ask me why do I believe that, I'll be glad to give you much more detailed information on why I believe that Paul wrote Hebrews. Amen? Amen. Paul goes on to say, He is before all things, and in Him all things hold together. He is the head of the body, the church. Now, by the way, there are some people that are so in love with Paul, they would claim that Paul was the head of the church. But no, that's not true. Paul was not the head of the church. Jesus Christ, according to Paul, is the head of the church. He is the beginning of the firstborn from among the dead, so that he, so that in all things he may have preeminence. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile himself to all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven. By making peace through the blood of Jesus Christ. 
Now, this term reconciliation is actually a financial term. And it's really a financial term that we don't use much anymore. Some people talk about how checking accounts, for example, have become almost obsolete. Not quite, but almost. But back in the old days, before they had digital electronic checking and online banking, people had checking accounts. And every month they would receive a paper statement from the bank not only telling them what their balance was, but giving them a record of all the transactions for the past month. Now, when you received that record, you had the job of reconciling that bank statement. It was your job to reconcile that bank statement. And the reason you had to reconcile that bank statement is because there was a good chance that you had written checks that the bank didn't know about yet. And so in many cases, your available balance was actually less than what that particular statement indicated. And that's how a lot of people got in trouble. They didn't know how to properly reconcile their bank statements. Paul goes on to say, Once you were alienated from God and were hostile in your minds because of your evil deeds. But now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present, to present you holy unblemished, blameless in his presence. Once again, we have that accounting term, that financial term, reconciled. In other words, when God gets through with the reconciliation, he sees us as being blameless, unblemished, in his presence. Not because we're without sin, but because you see that sin debt has been wiped out by the blood of Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. Praise the Lord. Paul goes on to say, If indeed... You continue in your faith, established and firm, not moved from the hope of the gospel you heard, which has been proclaimed to every creature under heaven, of which I, Paul, have become a servant. Paul not only identifies himself as a minister, but as a servant. Now let me tell you young ministers something else here. If you think for one minute you ought to be put on a pedestal because you're going into the ministry, think again. You should consider yourself, number one, a servant of the Lord, and really in many ways a servant of the people that you have been called 
to serve and a servant of the church overall. I remember this one church that I was a member of in college back in Mississippi. And I remember the, the man that pastored that church. And the thing that was so interesting was that man was kind of like a jack of all trades, even though he was the pastor. In many ways, he was the church janitor. He was the church electrician the church plumber. He knew how to do lots of things. For example, he had some work in the construction industry prior to going into the ministry. And he found out that the knowledge he learned in the construction industry before he went into the ministry stood him in good stead after he went into the ministry. Amen? Amen. Once again, Paul underscores the fact that he sees himself as a servant. And then Paul talks about how he has suffered for the Lord. Paul says, now I rejoice in my sufferings to you. Now this, of course, made Paul a lot different from many of us. Some of us, every time we get an ache or a pain, we got to gripe and complain about it. Now, I know when you get up in the morning with aches and pains, it ain't no fun. And now that I'm a senior citizen, I know it even more than I used to. But I also see aches and pains as an opportunity for God to show me what he can do. I usually look forward to the mornings, <laughs> and one of the reasons I look forward to the mornings is because I know that in many ways, I'm going to feel better in the morning than I will feel the rest of the day. <laughs> usually once I get up in the morning and I start going, it seems like my aches and pains get multiplied. Until I go to bed at night and I take some pain reliever. And that seems to get the job done. And it even lasts into the beginning, the beginning of the morning and then I have to stop and take some more. But Paul says, now I rejoice in my sufferings for you. One of the things I've already mentioned is how much time Paul spent in jail and prison in his ministry. Now, it would have been very easy for Paul to really bellyache and complain about that. Amen. But we find that instead, Paul said, I rejoice in my sufferings for you. I And I fill up my flesh what is lacking in regard to Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body. In other words, he, which is the church. Um, he talks about how I became its servant by the commission God gave me to fulfill, or rather to fully proclaim to you, the word of God. In other words, when I think about all the suffering, 
that I've had to go through. I counteract that by thinking about all the suffering that the Lord Jesus Christ had to go through on the cross for your sins and mine. Amen. And then Paul talks about the mystery. Now, this isn't the only place where he talks about the mystery. But he talks about the mystery. This is in verse 26. That was hidden for ages and generations, but is now revealed to the saints. Now, this, of course, requires a little bit of explanation. We have to understand, first of all, the Bible is a book written by Jewish authors. Forty some odd men that were Jewish, not Gentile, Jewish. Now I do know that Luke, who was one of the writers, there was a period of time when Bible scholars considered Luke to be the only Gentile writer. But now most Bible scholars have come around to the viewpoint that even Luke was a Jew. And therefore, we find that basically the Bible is a Jewish book written primarily to Jewish people. But Paul knew that it was God's plan all along at some point for the Gentiles to be brought in on this as well. And Paul became the first minister to minister primarily to the Gentiles. Now, in many ways, this was absolutely necessary. What did God promise Abraham? Think about this. What did God promise Abraham? God says, Abraham, through you, all the nations of the world will be blessed. And, of course, ultimately, it's because of the word of God, the message of God, that all the world is blessed. But that would not include all the world unless you also included the Gentiles. And then, as now, it would be fair to say there's more Gentiles out there than there are Jews. Amen. Now, the Jews, I believe, still have a special relationship to God. I still consider the people of Israel to be God's chosen people. And I'm still one of these preachers that will tell you God is not finished with Israel yet. Their day is coming. But, in the meantime, during this age of the church, or as some would say, this dispensation of the church, we, the Gentiles, get in on it as well. Now, I want you to know there's really nothing new about the ministry. I mean, about this mystery. God knew all along it was his plan for the Gentiles to be included. But for the most part, the saints of the Old Testament were never informed of this. And even in the New Testament, the disciples, for the most part, were commanded to do miracles and preach the gospel only to their own people. 
But even Christ knew that the day was coming when the message would be available to everybody, especially the Gentiles. Amen. Paul goes on to say in verse 28, We proclaim him, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom, that we may present everyone perfect in Christ. Now, the word perfect is not sinless perfection there. You and I will never be sinlessly perfect until the day we go to heaven. But we can say that Paul's that Christ could see everybody as perfect. To this end, I also labor, striving with all his energy, working powerfully within me. Paul realized and recognized it was God, it was God who gave him the energy and the power to present the gospel of Jesus Christ. We can't do it in our own strength. We have to have the power of God upon us in the form of the Holy Spirit. And that, by the way, brings us to the end of Colossians chapter 1. Now next time, We will come to Colossians chapter 2. And Paul will have more to say about eternal things. Among other things, Paul will be talking about absent in the body, present in the spirit. Boy, I tell you, that's going to be exciting. I can't wait to get there. But that will be in our next session. Until then, I want you to know God loves you very much. This is Warren Landis, your host and Bible teacher here on Sunshine USA. And I have thoroughly enjoyed spending our time together this evening taking a look at the Word of God. And hopefully come tomorrow night, we'll do it again. <laughs> now as usual, once again, if you have any Bible study questions, if you have any prayer requests, I would love to hear from you. And if you give me permission to, I'll be glad to share your Bible study questions and prayer requests with our unseen, unnumbered radio audience. And it will be a blessing to you to know that Christians all across America and throughout the world are joining you in prayer over the different needs that you have. Amen? Amen. Praise the Lord. Well, my two email addresses, by the way, I, I think on one broadcast I told everybody to send me an email, but I didn't include the email addresses. Well, the two email addresses are warrenlandis at yahoo.com That's warrenlandis at yahoo.com and warrenlandis at gmail.com Both of those are Great email addresses, all lowercase, and probably it is the quickest, most direct way 
uh, to get in touch with me. <laughs> I love hearing from you. And I especially love hearing about what this ministry, Sunshine USA, means to you. If you have been saved in recent months as a result of this ministry, I would love to know about it. I would love to hear about it. It might be that God has allowed you to grow in your knowledge of the Word of God. Once again, I would love to hear about it. I enjoy hearing exciting testimonies. I remember back when I was in college and seminary, um, it was so exciting. I mean, really, it was so exciting because of the fact during the first week of school, we would have a testimony time, and everybody would share about how God had led them to school, how God had provided the money that they needed to be in school, and even share about what they expected to do with the education and training that they got in school. Amen. It was so exciting, so wonderful. And I would love to hear from you. You cannot imagine the encouragement that would be to me to hear that. Amen. Well, until next time, this is Warren Landis saying goodbye. God bless you. And don't fret none because I'll see you next time on Sunshine USA.